the messages that we're preaching. I, I, it's encouraging for me because I know that it's, it flies in the face of, a lot of what a lot of us have been taught. And so it's, it's my, really it's my, I absolutely have to prove what I'm teaching and preaching from the Bible. I had one lady say, she said, well, I tell you what, I believe the Bible, the whole Bible and everything in the Bible. I said, well, you're just my kind of person. But it's always a test when you show them something in the Bible that they've never been shown before. And I, I found this out. This is, this is real deep. I hope we can get this. It's hard to, to perceive what I'm fixing to say, but you can't believe something you don't know. You know, somebody say, well, I don't believe that. And I say, it's because you don't know it. Let me help you know it, then decide whether you believe it or not. But I believe that God's Word, that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and I do believe everything that's in it, but I don't believe you should take it out of context. You know, the old saying goes, one scripture says, and Judas went and hung himself, and then you turn over here and it says, go ye and do likewise. How many of you know that's not really what the Bible's trying to teach us? I know that's a simple, simple metaphor, but it's something that's reality. So, what I try to help people with is just the milk. And I try to get them to understand, look, if you don't know the foundational principles of Christ, not the Roman road of salvation that somebody picked and chose, I'm talking about what the Bible says are the foundational principles of Christ. And what the Bible says, if you don't know these and have these laid in your life and move from that, you're never going to get to perfection which is the Greek word means really maturity. In other words, you're never going to become the finished product. I know that modern Christendom, because of what happened during the dark ages, and we've explained all of that. I told somebody recently, I said, look, I, would, I wish you would at least turn off the Hallmark Channel this Christmas and turn on the History Channel. They show you all of these kingdoms and all of these rulers and all these people that rose up that fits and interlocks with the Bible perfectly. That's why one of the reasons I'm so impressed with the Bible. Because it is so exact in its ability to foretell history. It's been so exact, it amazes me. And I don't want to get into all that this morning. But I want, to know, I want you to know that if I can get somebody to understand that they don't even know the six foundational principles, that there were six foundational principles, that there were six of them, and what they are or where they are in the Bible, and they've never heard of those things, then it sometimes gives me an, an opportunity and a little cracked door that I can say, well, maybe you don't know some of these things, and today's your lucky day because we're going to show you foundationally. There are six of them. And I'll, so I'll give you a hint. It's in chapter 6 of a book in the Bible. And it's faith toward God. I mean, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, res eternal judgments, and resurrection from the day, dead. So, you know, I, I don't like to be redundant about this, but i got to tell you, guys, a lot of people have never heard this. It's, it's such so far into them. They, they don't really understand and really read the Bible and study the Bible, you know, as much as they do sports page or the stock market, are things that aren't as important. So what we've been talking about this past few weeks, maybe it's been a month, but I called it the dislocation of saints. And I talked about how 
People don't understand that the purpose of God is not for you to have a personal relationship with your Savior. The word Lord is in there somewhere, and a lot of people have dropped the word Lord. Curios means lordship, because people in America aren't into people telling other people telling them what to do. And so what, what happened is we have this whole generation of people who believe that when when they get saved, that it's already a finished work, it's done, you're completed, and that you are now a Christian. And I personally, again, I say this many times, I don't like the terminology personally, my personal Lord and Savior. Because to me, it has a connotation and a subconscious lifestyle of him being our personal valet, our personal butler. Yeshua is the last thing from being somebody's butler. Matter of fact, he's so... He was so great, and I'm so impressed by what he did, not because, you know, he was a man who could sin. If he didn't have the potential to sin, then what he did on the earth is not a big deal to me. I have no problem doing stuff that I can't do. You'll hear what I just said. It ain't that he couldn't sin, it's that he wouldn't sin. And because of that, Yahweh gave him a name above every name. And the Bible says that that name, that there is no other name given under heaven whereby which men can be saved. And even though people in modern Christendom today, and I want to tell you, I too was a victim of it. They are so confused and so ignorant of the truth, they don't even know the founder and the father and author of our faith's name. It's a made up name. That's how far off we have drifted. So we come to this place and this place is called the fourth foundational principle. We have repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms. There are seven baptisms in the one baptism, seven aspects of it. Baptism into repentance, baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit, baptism into fire, baptism in the body, baptism into suffering, baptism into the cloud. Seven things. Guys, I want to tell you what. This is bottled milk. It's bottled milk. And you know what? Most people that I meet have no clue what I just said. What is that? Because we don't study the Bible. You need, you need to have somebody who can teach us these things. The Bible says that you must have a preacher to come preach, basically. Now listen to me. What we're trying to talk about right now is the fourth bottle. It's called the laying on of hands. You cannot be a Christian in the true sense of the word, not Americanized Christian, but in the true sense of the word, by yourself. It flies in the face of everything of who and what God is and his desire that he's going to make many one. He said, I am, there is only one God and he is expressed and he is trying to reproduce himself in a multitude. He told, he told Abraham, let me tell you, your seed is going to be as the stars in the sky and the, and the grains of sands on the beach. He's going to have a natural earthly lineage of children, as many as the sands on the beach, but he's also is the father of of a spiritual family that's going to be as many as the stars in the sky. So what we're learning to be is to have the understanding that in house number one, the individual, there has to be order. We have to put God first in everything we do and say, spirit, soul, and body, however you want to say it. But then there's another dynamic of relationships in the earth called the domestic realm or marriage. That has to be set in order. If something's out of order, then the anointing that comes from the only person that's anointed nobody has their own anointing only yahshua the head is anointed and it flows down to all of those members who are in order 
You're out of order? Let me do it. You're a fool to put a dollar in an out-of-order Coke machine. Because it will gobble it up and you'll lose. And then, of course, we have house number three, the ecclesia. And it, there's a divine order for that. And we have to get in our place properly for it to flow there. And that ecclesia, which is made up of house number twos and house number ones who are in order and submitted to the kingship of Yeshua, will, is what usher, will usher in the kingdom one day when Yeshua literally, physically returns to the earth and sets his kingdom up. We have been invited the Bible says that there has been a given an invitation of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation of people to come, to become part of who and what God is doing in His purpose, and to rule and reign with Him a thousand years on the earth. Now, what Paul did, Paul spoke and gave in Ephesians a metaphor of marriage, husbands and wives, wives and husbands, children. And this is what he said, but I speak to you a mystery concerning Christ and the church. So we understand that, that marriage is a, a, an example of what Christ and his bride, us, the New Jerusalem, I talked about it in the last weeks, don't make me, I don't want to go all the way back. But listen to those things, you can catch up, because this is probably the tail end of that particular series, because toward the first of the year, we're going to start addressing some other things and learning some other things. I tell people, we're going to be, I'm going to be talking, speaking out of 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 40 today. And I tell people this, you know, husbands and wives, I know, I know a lot about wives, but I know more about husbands than I do wives because I am one. And that husbands don't really require very much in marriages. We get an amen, guys. Hallelujah, come on. But one thing we would like to be is appreciated. If wives could understand that all they got to do is say, hey, good job, man. You went and got that garbage can, but without me having to say nothing. And man, us will say, hallelujah. We just want a little appreciation. We need that. Our egos are big. To not appreciate one another, and I'm sure wives feel the same way. It breeds distance. It breeds distance between people in the marriage. And so if we're not careful... We have to understand that we, when we, in a, in a marriage, have to appreciate each other, knowing that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and women are to submit themselves to their own husbands. So we see that there's this relationship of, of order and authority where in government the man is over the woman, but in relationship a man is their friends, their equals, but when it comes to serving... The greatest of all is the servant of all. So what we do, we, we, we cause ourselves, we humble ourselves, and we become a servant to those people. Now, i got to point to my madness. I'm not talking about marriage today, but I am. I'm going to talk about marriage, but I'm going to talk about the real spirit of what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, what he's really dealing with. So if you're here and you say, well, what if I do I ain't married? Well, let me tell you something. Everybody's married in some form or the other. You understand, I'm not talking about in the, in the literal sense. I'm talking about how, how the Apostle Paul is showing us that it's a picture that reveals to us a type in the shadow, something we can, we can put our hands on and experience closer than any other relationship on the earth. When you get married to somebody and you're serious about it, there's nothing that will affect you better or worse than your marriage. 
Can anybody agree with me today? If you don't agree with nothing else, I'm going to tell you something. You are in denial if you don't believe that. The process of marriage. You know, I, I, put, I put on my Facebook post, I said, you know, that about the husbands and wanting appreciation and, you know, don't take being taken for granted and be nice to us, you know, don't, take, don't get frustrated and then take it out on us. Because we really just want to be appreciated. And I said, oh, yeah, but there is always something else that a man wants. And I'm sure y'all already know what that is. If you don't, maybe I do need to have a marriage conference. My sister said pigtails and rice. Wouldn't hurt. The process of marriage isn't just so you can have sex. It isn't just so you can buy a house together. Or that you can have a car. Or y'all can have kids and all that. That's not the real purpose of what we're talking about, we're talking about foundational principle number four, the laying on of hands, that two become one because that is what God is all about. He is all about two. Did y'all see the glory of God come into the room just then? I see that when I start preaching the truth, the light comes on to some of you. Somebody, I got that. I told you it'd work, Doug. This process called marriage, what it really does, like no other thing in the earth it reveals all of our dysfunctions. It reveals all our deficits. And those are the things that will keep you from walking in peace and joy. You hear what I just said? That marriage, man, it'll uncover some things you didn't know was in there. Words that you thought you could never form can come right out of your mouth at a high pitch decibel level. Make your blood pressure, make you pop a cork. Not only will it keep you from walking in peace and joy now, but the, it will cause you to not get your well done. Or it will help you get your well done. Let me tell you what. It's easy to love people who you're not around enough for them to get on your nerves. Man, I tell you, I, honey, I wish you was like her. Baby, I wish you was like him. Oh, really? Oh, really? Well, you're not close enough for them to get on your nerves. Sometimes ecclesial life, in the true sense, will reveal stuff in you and will get on your nerves. And all it's doing is revealing your deficit, your rejection, and your immaturity. Y'all hear me? That's all it is. So what we do, we hunker down and we expect and we want them to change. When really the process is for you to get to know who you are in the light of the truth and for you to change. You heard what I just said? Because you ain't going to change him. And you ain't going to change her. You ain't going to change you. Without house number one relationship, with house number two relationship, because house number two is going to expose it, and then what she or he hasn't already uncovered, guess what? You're going to get around people that go to church, and you always say, no, you're going to stay right there, and you're going to love them. But I don't love them. Yeah, I know. That's because of something in you that I'm trying to get dealt with. Because if you don't deal with that, then you're never going to get your well done. Because I'm looking for people who want to have the character of the firstborn of many of the new creation, Yahshua, the last Adam. He said, I want people like that. And so a lot of people blame other people and make them responsible for their own happiness. And that ain't fair to anybody. For me to make anybody responsible for my happiness is so unfair. But I want to tell you, it's the number one cause for divorce. In every sense and in every aspect and expression, house one, two, and three. Oh, I've, I've been divorced many times. I've had people divorce me. 
just because of what I preach. A lot of people divorce me because uh, how, how I am, you know, and I don't, I don't want to be like this. I wanted to have a, an English accent, you know. I can't even do it. I had to get a redneck, southern, Columbus, Georgia accent that, you know, as Jeff Foxworthy said, it's a good thing I'm not a brain surgeon because nobody would hire me. What we going to do, we're going to cut the hole in top of your head and we're going to poke a stick up in there and we're going to give you some brain surgery. No, they're going to find somebody with an English accent who may be stupid, but they sound intelligent. Amen. Do you all know that's true? Well, I want to tell you what. I trust my southern people. I love a good accent. Preacher. Hey, preacher up there, boy. Hallelujah. My wife and I are heirs together of the grace of life. You and I are heirs together in the grace of life. And this is something Yahweh spoke to me recently. He says, so start acting like it. He says, start acting like it. And I'm like, okay. See, there's a lot of blessings in marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, though, Paul's intention isn't to stress the blessing part. I don't think we have any problem with the good part of, of marriage. And again, remember, y'all listen to me. I'm talking about marriage as a metaphor to house one, two, and three, and how to get you well done. Are y'all hearing me? So you learn from the marriage part in house number two, but marriage is way bigger than that. I hope I can make that clear. Because there's troubles and distraction related to married life. I told somebody recently, I said, I want to tell you something that I know about life. Life is going to hurt your feelings. Because the tragedies that will happen when, when people start passing away and when, when people get sick, I had a very close friend got diagnosed with cancer this week. They said there's no hope for him. I, I hate that. But yet that's what life is. Marriage has its downs. Obviously, in the book of Corinthians, these Corinthians are asking all these questions about marriage, just like people do in America today. What about if he's married? What if they leave me? What if they have this? What about divorce? What, what does the Bible say? And Paul answered some things, you know. What, I, what he really did is he set forth some principles about married life, not just house number two, but what married life really is. I think if, if we can consider these principles... It can help us enjoy the process of getting exposed of our deficits and our insecurities and our rejections and our immaturities so that we can deal rightly and justly and godly with one another and understand the blessing of them uncovering that in your life. <laughs> I don't think this is going to preach very good this morning. I said do enjoy the blessing of having your spouse uncover the ugliness and immaturity in you. Yippee! We're going to have a good time this morning. Verse number one, Paul deals with it. I'm just going to go through this. You can go read this later if you want to. He said, it ain't good for man, a man to touch a woman. Verse five, he said, you need to devote yourselves to prayer. Six, don't give occasion to the flesh. Verse seven, the gift we have received from God is this marriage, this thing. Eight, he, he deals with, chapter eight, uh, verse 8 and 26, 27, and 40, and all, he deals with remaining married. The Bible says, and he goes on in verse 9 saying, it's better to marry if we lack self-control. In verses 13, 14, and 16, he says, remaining in marriage to somebody, if you're married to an unbelieving party, you can stay married to them so they might be saved. 
Verse 15, he says, you're going to allow the unbelieving party to leave so that we're believing the party may live in peace. Verse 20 and 24, it says, remain in the status of your calling. Verse 32 and 34, seek to care for the things of the Lord free from other cares. 35, wait on the Lord without distraction. 36 through 38, he's talking about a virgin giving his virginity in marriage and doing well, and one deciding to keep his virginity doing will do better. He talks about a wife being free after her husband's dies to be married to another. That's the kind of stuff I don't want to get into today. And that's stuff that Paul is teaching. But what I want to talk about is the spirit of this writer in chapter, in this chapter, how we have not adequately understood and considered the principles that he's pointed out, 1 Corinthians 7. The Apostle Paul believed this. He believed in being totally and completely dedicated to God. Hello. I said he believed in being totally and absolutely dedicated to God. And there's nothing is more representative about human life as really the, the general term marriage. Again, I'm not just talking about house number two with husbands and wife. I'm talking about what marriage is. Two becoming one. We're talking about what? The fourth foundational principles. The laying on of hands where the two become one. Submitting to authority in the role that God's given you and accepting who you are in that relationship. Are y'all with me? Is it called tryptophan? Tryptophan? So I believe that I can with liberty use the word married life and represents a person, a human being. In answering the questions that these Corinthians are asking about married life, I'll tell you what, Paul was simple, he was direct, he was genuine, he didn't hold, hold any punches, he dealt with all of those kind of things. He wasn't ambiguous in what he said, and he didn't try to say it in some politically correct way. He did it according to what God says, and he threw in his own experiential opinion. And I love that about Paul because he distinguished the difference. So, in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 7, this is what he's saying. I wish all men to be even as myself. All right, the fact of the matter is, go to verse 8. It, says, it is good for them if they remain even as I. So, what he is trying to tell them is it's better for you to be like I am than to be in another way because I can tell you the, the walk that I'm in and what I'm experiencing now was, is better than my previous times. See, Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin in good standing, which meant this. He had to be a married man. And when he became a believer, a Christian, like other Christians, they got blackballed. They got boycotted. They literally would not... Let them stay in their own house. They wouldn't eat a meal with them. And so what these Romans, obviously, his wife left him because of his conversion. He was a married man, good, good standing. But you see what happened to him is he suffered the consequences of a woman and a family leaving him. And now he is in this position. Paul was totally and completely for Yahweh. He was dedicated to Yahweh. His spirit was totally and completed for Yah completely for Yahweh. 
and was devoted to doing things in God's economy or God's way, 110%. And what Paul is saying is this. I don't think he's saying necessarily that you need to stay in the marital house number two place that he's in. He's trying to let us know that there's something that we have to aspire for and that his, he was aspiring for as that we all imitate him and follow him and him being God word and doing everything in his life for the glory of God. Can you see what I'm saying? You know, he says in one place, art thou loosed? Seek not to be bound. Are thou bound? Seek not to be loosed. That's his counsel about house number two relationships. But the thing I want to talk about and trying to express today is the spirit behind of what he's saying of him being totally, completely dedicated to live his life for Yahweh. And he's hoping that everybody that is under his responsibility will do the same way and become the same. And this guy was totally committed and dedicated to doing it Yahweh's way. I want to tell you what, that's how I want to be too. How many of you know if you only do things halfway, you only reap half things? No, we know the demands of Christ. When somebody looks at the demands of Christ, that's why many people, like the rich young ruler, walked away. Because if they really know what salvation is all about and how to, how to begin the process and not it just be a one-time deal, I done it, went to the altar, said the sinner's prayer, okay, and then go back out to your worldly lifestyle, I want to tell you, most people, there won't be a whole bunch of people left going to churches. But we accommodate worldliness. I want to be like Paul. I want to not only be totally committed and dedicated to live my life with Yahweh, but I want to be, listen, this is the whole thing we've been talking about, one with Yahweh. And I can't be one with Yahweh if I can't be one with people in the other relationships that God requires me to be one with. Y'all get this. I told somebody, you know, I said this last week. People think they can sit at home and listen to what I'm preaching and sit on that couch when they're in driving distance of this ecclesia. You can't just sit there, please. But people can hear what I'm saying, what I just said, and nod their head and agree with me, but never get their butt off the couch and become part of others. You can't just do it in house number one on the couch. Well, I got my wife here. Well, okay, that's good. But you can't just do it there. The kingdom is ushered in and will be ushered in through ecclesia. Listen to this. House number two isn't any more important than ecclesia, even though people worship family. I might as well close the door now and clock up. I said, the domestic realm is no more important than the, than the ecclesia. But there's people today, y'all know we worship family. Man, we worship us some family. All, that, all house number two is, is another expression to get you to house number three so you can get that one right. And all three of those are for one thing, so we can inherit the kingdom of God. Paul was one with him. I want to be one with him. Paul was trying to teach these people, if you will be one with him in all your circumstances, no matter what the condition of the situation is, if, then that's what we're trying to do and be. That's the goal here. You look close, man. We'll see Paul follow the principle of this. And I'm going, to, I'm going to initiate this by saying not to initiate anything. Because what we will do is we will initiate and change things when that ain't what God wants you to do. Instead of being one with God and doing what God says and doing it His way, our ego, our pride, our unbelief, our, our fear, all of those things that we all have. How many of you know there's not a person here that don't deal with these things I'm talking about? 
These, these things, what we'll do, we'll initiate. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Or I know what, I feel a change coming on. I'm going to change this. And what Paul's basically saying to us is we don't need to initiate anything or change anything ourselves. He made it clear not to ch- initiate any action. Don't initiate any change in your status the way you are right now for right now. Don't do that. Again, remember, remember, I'm not talking about marriage and divorce. I am, but I'm not. I'm talking about an attitude that you and I, if we want to be successful in every house, this is an attitude you have got to get, to get rooted and grounded and planted and begin to bear fruit and quit being blown by every wind of doctrine or every little hardship that may pass your way. When you faint, you get weary in well-doing. Paul's teaching us, if we change our status or we initiate any action, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, we're not one with God. Okay, God, that's where I leave you right here. That's where I, I'm, I'm off. I'm out. I'm leaving you on this one. I can't take it no more. If we're going to actually be one with him, we should not initiate any change, especially if you're married. Listen to me. Don't initiate a change. Married, house number two. As is in marriage counseling, I want you to hear an attitude and a, an opinion. Some people may be so far past that, they're like, like, man, I'm done. Well, okay. But if you're bound, don't seek to be loosed. And you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and training. But I want you to hear something that I believe will revolutionize your life and bring your circumstances that you think are, think are the worst, that you'll begin to understand that it's not, you'll never be able to run away from your problem because you are the problem. So I say, well, I just want to go to the mountains. If I can go to the mountains, if I can just go to the beach. I can Look, the problem is you go with yourself. I just want to get away from all my troubles. You can't do that because when you go to the beach, you go with you. And that internal dialogue is something that's tormenting. If you can get the internal dialogue about, you, about yourself to you, I guarantee you, you'll be able to do it with those you're supposed to be married to. House number two. House number three, and I even believe marriage is really something that's so part of us. It's something we do in some way at work. Anybody got relationships at work? Their hobbies. It's a type of marriage. In fact, I know guys that have a better marriage with other guys than they do their own wife. (laughs) Oh, Lord. This is our attitude. Again, I'm using marriage. If Yahweh wants me to be married... If he wants me to stay married, if he wants me to marry, I'm going to let him initiate it. I'm going to let him work it out. I'll tell you why. Because in the history of my life, I have found this to be true because some people are bad choosers. Y'all hear me? Old preacher told me one time, he said, Johnny, love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener. And for some reason, listen why, the same deficits and insecurities, and rejections, and inferiority, all those things we've talked about last year, will step up and make a choice for you, and it ain't a good choice. I made a bad choice in my marriage. No, she did. This gift will produce a willingness and a desire to remain in the place that's God's will for you. Some people want to get married for the wrong reasons. Some people say, I just want to have some brats. I mean, babies. Let me tell you what a baby, a baby will do. It'll torment you the rest of your life. They'll be 40 years old. You're still laying in bed at night worrying about them. Hello? 
I'm not saying they're not a blessing and all that. I want to know. I know they are. But we're married to them too. They can drive you crazier than your wife or husband can. Is it true or not? Hey, well, I got an amen. I woke y'all up this morning. Glory to God, those bunch of sorry kids. Thank God for grandkids. They're going to break our hearts too. You know they are. Maybe not in a real bad way. Y'all, you don't want me to get married. You don't want me to, you know, then you're going to get, give me the gift and the ability and the power and the grace to be what you want me to be. There's a good part. People say, John, are you going to sin? No, I think God can empower me and give me the grace not to sin like he did Joshua. Does that mean I'll, I'll, I'll ever reach that goal? But I won't, No, but I will tell you what. I will get better and better and better at it. You, you're going to sin, John. You know, that's, not, that's totally against the Bible. I can do all things through Christ. It isn't just to get your fleshly desire. It's to not get your fleshly desire. God will give you the ability to remain single. Some people have the grace for it. And I'll tell you something. Our culture will criticize them. You ain't married? Why ain't you married? Because they're smarter than you. <laughs> now, I know we take that in the way that, you know, it's like, because they didn't get no woman. No, no, no. Maybe it's because they're choosing to do what God's giving them the grace to do and stay where God has until he initiates something and he brings that woman to them or that husband to them and then that will be his choice. And I promise you, even if they're not as beautiful as you thought the one was. How many of you ever, man, how many of you ever had girlfriends in the past? Not, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Joel. But uh, <laughs> girlfriends in the past that when you go back and look at their picture, are they ugly, Crystal? Huh? <laughs> There's some ugly women right there, ain't there, baby? See there? Ah, hush. Hush, you'll get your time Wednesday night. Oh, they're all, he said they're all ugly. Yeah. Well, he's, he's smart. I wouldn't change or initiate anything with that either, son. I'll tell you right now. God gives, will give us that grace to be married or to be single, whatever it is we are. But nobody should be making those decisions on their own. It must be God who takes the initiative and who grants us both the desire and the gift to not be married and likewise to be married. You know, this is really good. I just don't think I'm saying it right. <laughs> Paul was not married. I'm sure Paul could have got him a, a woman. Pretty popular dude, if she didn't mind somebody getting beat up all the time and, you know, <laughs> going to prison and all that kind of stuff. He didn't dress so good. He probably wasn't the cleanest guy. He was having to be lowered in a basket. Okay, honey, it's time to leave this town. Well, you got me a, cat, a taxi? No, we're going to get lowered in a basket over the wall. He wasn't married. Could have been. But I believe God gave him the necessary desire and the necessary ability to be what God wanted him to be at that time. Listen to me. That's the point I'm trying to make. It was the gift he received from Yahweh. Whether we should marry or not, whether we should marry or not marry, should not be something we initiate. We got to learn and le to leave this matter of trusting in Yahweh's plan. Paul makes it clear in, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, look, don't change your status or initiate anything. Verse 12, he said, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she consents to dwell with him, let him not leave her. In verse 4, 13, Paul said the same thing. Look, a wife who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to dwell with her, let her not leave the husband. Look, if you're married to an unbeliever and, and you're a believer, you're trying to live for God and he ain't, leave him alone. What's the worst thing that can happen to him is God get a hold of him. In verses 17 through 24, it just talks about remaining in the status of your calling. Remaining in the status of your calling. 
verse 17, Paul is charging us to remain in the state of marriage if that's what God's called you to be in. Only as the Lord has allotted to each one as God has called each one, so let him walk. Walk in the calling by the grace that you are in that he's called you to. Yeah, but I can't live with her no more. You're going to be this miserable with the next one you get if you don't deal with you. Each one, in what state he was called, let him remain with God. That's verse 24. So we, the believers must become one with God. One in house number one. One with God in house number two. And one with God in house number three. It's called the laying on of hands. These examples indicate that Paul's saying and he's using the questions asked by the Corinthians about what about marriage? What about her? What about her? married to him? He ain't married. I, I got saved now. He ain't saved no more. And he's a Christian. I'm not a Christian. What do I do? He's dealing with it, but he's making an overall principle for them to do. And that is, I will not initiate. Instead of being absolutely one with the Lord, these people, man, they wasn't one with, one with God. They had their own ideas. They had their own cultural philosophy. They, did it, well, they, they just did what it did. And let me tell you something. It's nothing now to get a divorce. It's nothing now to have an abortion. It's nothing now to, to do things that we would never have thought of in the past. Thank God for his forgiving mercy. Amen? We all make mistakes. We all had times. But what about now? Brother Johnny, you know, I was married. I'm Okay, all right, okay. That only exists one place in your mind. The only place your past exists is in your mind. It is not real anywhere else. But I'm not talking about your past. I'm talking about your now and your future. God is calling us as a people to now become one. To have laying on hand of hands. And not be like the world. Well, he didn't do this for me. He didn't do that for me. Guess what? I dump you. I therefore divorce you because I didn't, you didn't jump through the emotional hoops that I require. Dude, that'll wear somebody out. Oh, my God. You just wear somebody else, requiring them to look at you a certain way and talk to you a certain way and do this a certain way. That's your deficit. And probably what's going to happen, God's going to keep on running you into people that's going to make you crazy till you realize one day you're the one that's crazy. Look, if, if everybody else is crazy and you ain't, that means you are. And you know how you can tell them? They complain. I complain, oh, he don't do that right, they don't do that right, she don't do that right, I'm right, they're wrong, they don't really. It's you! You're never going to be happy. These Corinthians did this about everything, even their marriages. I don't like her now, I don't like her now. Okay, do this now. Paul said, no, y'all don't get it. This is, things are changing now. Now I hear the truth has come to visit you. So you think marriage is for you, it ain't for you, it's for Yahweh. Unto the Lord. You know, I had, had people come to me before. Will you marry us? No, I'm already married. I got plenty. They don't come to church here. They don't go to church anywhere. They don't serve God. They're a bunch of partying, drunken, smoke doping, fornicating. Can I go on? And they want a white dress. I said, look, I just understand to get married. Go to the courthouse. Why do you want to get God, God involved up in this? Just go, to the, just go to the courthouse. Because that's what they've done now. The state of Florida requires that you give them money to get married. And guess what? you got to get them money to get out of marriage. I tell people, just live with them. Then you ain't got to pay nobody nothing. And if they're stupid enough to do that, that ain't my problem. But the answer is no, I ain't marrying you. I only marry people who 
want to be one with God. You know, when you make a, this thing called a vow to God, people care about no vow to God, do they? A vow to God? Well, I broke my vow, and I didn't see anything wrong. Well, so did Adam. But he did die eventually. Some people thought, well, it's better not to get married. Other people say, well, you need to get married. Hallelujah. The way the Corinthians thought and spoke about marriage shows us that, they, that they're among those people in that society was full of human, carnal, fleshly, derived in initiatives and decisions. And they made a decision out of the flesh instead of waiting on God to make the change. So when I answer the question, man, he's saying, look, what, what do we do? What do we do? Paul said, look, I want you to do this. Won't you just wait? Don't lean on this. Year. Don't change that right now. Just wait. Because who knows? You might change and regret that you kicked her out. You hear me? You might change and regret that you can't spend the rest of your life with the wife of your youth. Paul was not willing to change anything or to initiate anything. This was the reason he could tell them not to change their status because he lived it himself. You were unmarried, stay unmarried until God does something. Is this a pretty easy principle? I think it's very smart. You're married to a person that's not a believer? Don't change nothing. Well, should I leave them? What if, what if they're doing this? And I'm not, look, God will deal with them. Now, if they're, if they're slapping you around or, you know, and I'm talking to the men right now. If your wife is slapping you around and abusing you, because I tell you, I know it to go both ways. I've been in people's houses before trying to break up something. And I'll tell you what, I saw a woman one time. I'm, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but I promise I thought she had these beep, 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 beep. These big claws came out. And she looked like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. She took a swipe at him and he fell down in slices of, of humanity on the floor. I know it goes both ways. My point is, I'm not saying you live in an abusive situation. Y'all get my point, right? Having an attitude. Wait a minute. Let me wait on God here. Let me give God a chance to change me. Let me become one with God. And let me learn how by becoming one with my spouse. And one with those in my ecclesia. But initially, without any initiation, let me become one with me and God. I think every matter in our life should be left with Yahweh. Everything depends on Yahweh. Everything depends on the situation, circumstances, and conditions that I believe are arranged by Him. And no, I'm not a Calvinist. A lot of your heroes, maybe if you remember, I had heroes in uh, Civil War. I, I loved history, and I loved the Civil War, and I studied it. And, you know, I was in the third grade. I sent a letter to the Gettysburg, uh, uh, what do you call it, City of Gettysburg, better, not Better Business Bureau, but the... Anyhow, I sent them a letter. They sent me all these brochures. And, man, I was into all that kind of stuff. And we, I saw all my heroes on the battlefield, these guys sitting on their horses, lead flying past them everywhere. And, and all the guys are in ditches, and they're firing. But yet the general's on his horse standing there just like this, and cannonballs are blowing up. And he don't even move. You know why? Because he was a Calvinist. He believed in predestination. And he believed if it was God's will for him to die, he would die Hiding behind a tree as easy as wood on that horse. So there were a lot of heroes in the Civil War who were Calvinist. I ain't one. If I'm going, I'm going to go behind a tree. Hello? 
But I do believe that God has an order for my life. Just like he has angels who are in charge of nations and they move and shift nations for the, for the purpose of Yahweh's plan and glory. I believe that I have angels who have charge over me and are responsible to Yahweh for me and that my footsteps are ordered by God and that even if I walk myself in a bad situation, God will walk me out of that place if I don't take initiative and try to do it myself. Y'all listen to me. This could change your whole life. So what I have to learn, that if I'm going to be totally dedicated and committed the same way Paul said he wants me to be like him, I don't have any problem with any situation or circumstances that come up in my marriage. Listen close. I'm not saying I'm not working things out. Or with my relationship with people in Ecclesia. Or your next door neighbor or people you work with. What I'm saying is, if my spouse stays with me, I praise Yahweh. And if my spouse prefers to leave, I also take this from Yahweh. You'll hear what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. The thing is, what I accept, not that I don't initiate or cause my wife to leave, or I don't initiate to call people to leave the church or something like this. Listen, I, I, I know, like, I had a friend tell me one time this. He said, you're hard to walk with. I'm like, Really? I didn't realize that I was. Wasn't you there that day, Joey? I mean, I didn't realize I was. But obviously, the older I get, I'm saying, you know, hey, man, you know, maybe you're not easy to walk with. Not in the sense that I'm not nice, but in the sense of the demands of Christ and, the, the, and pressing toward the, the prize of the high calling that's in Christ. So I, well, I'm not going to fight with the Spirit of God. I'm not going to grieve the Spirit of God. I'm not going to struggle against God. In my marriage, in my ecclesia. So if there is something that happens that causes me to rise up in in an attitude or something, I have to say, thank you, Lord. Instead of saying, I hate that person. You're mean, you're that. Look, thank you. You have just discovered the core of my disease. And it was all by accident. You're married, guess what? God is going to use your husband to uncover who you are and to deliver you from you. If your wife, he's going to use your wife to expose that junk that makes you just crazy and and deliver you from you. Do you hear me today? God has not abandoned his people. He's more interested in us being successful than you are. He wants you to get you well done. I realize everything depends on him. And I guarantee you what I've learned, not that I don't have my moments, And maybe moments is too small of a word. Not that I'm still not working it out. But ultimately, I don't want to initiate anything except to humble myself. Like when you get your hands laid on and become one with God, you bow your head and you never lift your head up again. And you receive that. You receive what's coming and knowing that it's working together for your good, even if it don't taste so good at the moment. Because what you're not going to like is when it comes back to own you, on how it makes you feel. And what's making you feel that way is the devil that you're trying to get rid of. I'm not talking about a devil. I'm talking about the very flesh and carnal mind that is the enemy of God. I want to be totally, absolutely committed and dedicated to Yahweh, and I want to be one with Yahweh. You know why? Because that's what his name means. You hear me?
That's what Ecclesia is all about. It's what house number two is all about. That's about my individual walk with him. It's all about me being one. I will be in whom I will be. That's what Yahweh really means. It don't mean I am that I am. It means I will be in whom I will be. And as a person like that, I don't want to initiate anything or try to change anything or anybody. Because I found out that's just failure wanting to happen. So you're really not trying to change them for their good. You're trying to change them for your pleasure. Hello? You're trying to change them for their, your pleasure. Anything we do to bring correction on somebody else, if the motive is not love and for their best and for Yahweh's best, you have no authority to say or do anything. You hear me? Only if you love them and you're in that kind of relationship with them. Listen to this. I'll even talk to people that were slaves. I know people have a hard time with this one. I've talked to somebody recently about this, and I'm like, oh, but listen to the spirit of what I'm saying. So were you, this is verse 21. Were you a slave when called? Don't let it concern you. But if even you are able to become free, then use that. Whatever state I'm in, I want to learn to be content. Remember the scripture? The point is this. The attitude should be one that we are one with Yahweh, and that I'm going to glorify Yahweh in my present circumstances, knowing that he's doing all that to reveal myself to me so I can be more like him, so I can be one with him and with the person who he's joined me with. I think if you can understand this principle of no initiation and no changing, then we can actually really become practical things that can make us become one with Yahweh in all our circumstances in all our situations, in all our conditions, and most people's marital problems will cease because marital problems are people being mad at the other person for not doing what we want them to do, not acting the way we want them to act. But if we'll understand that it's God working and, and changing us, I want to tell you what you can do. You can be in a boat on a stormy sea and sleep in the bottom of it. We need to live our life the way that pleases and glorifies Yahweh in the whatever our present situation is. Paul answers that he gave is different than marriage counselors of today. Service, the advice that marriage counselors today show me that they know not God, they're independent of God, they're even rebellious against God, and their instructions, advice, and answers are all to, together apart from God. Now, there are exceptions, don't get me wrong. I'm saying in general. But Paul he was under God, he was for God, he was for them, and he was one with Yahweh. And I'm almost done. That's pretty good, right? I know you don't believe that, so I don't want to say it. But it's going to work, work in you, so don't change or initiate anything. <laughs> Another important point is for us who love the Lord, who are for him, and who are one with him, must be willing to accept any kind of situation or any kind of circumstances. Well, I ain't going to put up with that. Well, what if God wants you to put up with it? What if that's God's plan for you? Some people don't want to continue living with their wife. If that's God's plan for you, you need to do it. Some people don't want to live with that husband. Some people don't want to talk to that ecclesia because they looked at you wrong or said something. They didn't, they didn't dance for you or whatever it is that we do. I'm going to tell you something out of personal experience. And I believe I can show you all the scripture in the world, but I want to tell you this. Paul said it this way. If you're married to an unbeliever and they decide to stay, 
Accept it. Watch this. But if they decide to leave, guess what? Accept it. I mean, you don't try to change. I mean, you don't try to love and work it out. No, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about in the ultimate. This is what I want you to learn and to know out of my personal experience. It's very important for us to see that Yahweh is always in our circumstances. Please hear me. I told my wife before. My wife told me, I guess, really what she said. Places we used to run with and people we went with, you know, if I, had, if I had received, I think if our church had grown exponentially and we were having like a 10,000 seat or 5,000, okay, a 50. If our church would have grown really big, I think it would have robbed me of what motivated me and gave me the opportunity to find out the true gospel. Because I believe it would have taken control of me and I would have been so busy managing and being an administrator instead of apostle, I'd been a, an administrator. Working out, having staff and all this kind of stuff. And I played, I played the office thing before. But I found this out in my walk. That Yahweh is always in my circumstances and in my situation, no matter what they are. And I began to, and I made a decision to look at my situation and my circumstances as actually Yahweh coming to me in disguise. Instead of saying, and don't get me wrong, I did this for years too. Where are you, God? Oh, God, oh, y'all know who I'm talking about? You know, the children of Israel got delivered, got all the miracles and all, and they complain, they complain, and some of their relatives are here this morning. It's easy to complain, and where are you at? Because all that's doing is, is we, we love, a lot of people don't want to get healed of stuff and delivered from stuff. You know why? Because they like the attention. Poor me. They need that attention. Poor me. You know what happened to me? Let me tell you something. It's in the circumstances and in your situation that that's where he is. That's where Yahweh is. I found Yahweh. He found me, of course. I want you to make that that's clear. But I discovered that where he was was in my circumstances and in my situation. Even if they were not good situation. Some of y'all have no clue. People look at other people they think, man, there ain't no problem to them. Look, just because you carry it well don't mean it ain't heavy. You hear what I just said? Just because something, people can carry some things well, it don't mean it ain't heavy. But I'll tell you how, what I've learned in those circumstances to do, and I'm still learning. I'm not a professional at it yet. And that is not carried at all. One of the things we learn to do is bear one another's burdens. That's a whole other message we preach, but we'll talk about that later. My point today, in verse 24, he said, Each one, brothers, in what state he was called... In this, let him remain with God. Notice the words, with God. It indicates that when we take our circumstances, we take God. Caprende, I said, can you understand what I'm saying? Can you understand and get what I'm saying? That it's in, uh, we old people, you say this, you find Christ in the crisis. I'm telling you, I have found God in things that drive me nuts. Because what he's doing is delivering me from those things that drive me nuts. He's there. He's there. And I'm not talking about some uh, surreal, you know, thing floating around. Oh, God, I feel his presence everywhere. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about hardcore, real lifetime, experiencing God, finding comfort in circumstances because there's nothing that's going to stop situations and circumstances in your life. There's going to be tribulation in the world. Yeshua himself warned us of it. Anybody have ever had any of those? 
well, you're going to have more. I'm, I'm telling you what, you can go to other churches, they can promise you that it's going to be a, a rose garden. I'm telling you, it's not going to be. Life's going to break somebody's heart, everybody, at some place, sometime. When I take the circumstances, instead of complaining about them, and showing my fear and doubt and unbelief and no, you know, no faith, no, just, it's, it's me, and I'm one with God, then I realize I take those circumstances, what I'm doing, I'm taking Yahweh too. And he cleanses me from the fear and the rejection and the insecurity and all of those dysfunctions that everybody here has. I learned that both within my circumstances and situations, watch this, and behind them, Yahweh's present. I'm not happy. Well, God's got something to do with it. I don't like that when he talked to me like that. God's got something to do with it. All had an excellent spirit. Paul was submissive. He was content and he was satisfied. Paul never complained. And when you hear somebody complaining, it proves they are not one with God and that their life is out of order. He was very submissive and very content with his situation. He went to prison, man. But the epistles were written from prison. I'm in prison. I'm wondering what God wants for me with me here. I'm going to make him happy. No matter how he was treated, and he was treated bad. He talks about it. Thrice beat with rods. You know, he, I mean, he was just, he was the man, but he wasn't the man anymore. He was respected. He was the Christian killer. They feared him. They didn't fear him no more. They said, Paul, you're out of your mind. And Paul said what I said. They got it from me. No, I'm out of your mind. And I'm trying to get out of mine. To him, every circumstance and every situation was of Yahweh. <laughs> y'all excuse me i'm talking crazy today no matter how he was treated no matter what the situation paul said i will not initiate anything nor will i change anything i'm gonna let god work in me that's what he said to me everything works for good to those that love him and who those are called according to his purpose that's what paul said that's y'all i think paul's better at this than we are what do you think I think, he's, I think he's a lot better. So this morning, he's teaching about marriage, but what he's really showing us is how to become one. And that's what the fourth foundational principle is all about. I know people ain't going to be, I ain't going to do that. I, okay, okay. I'm, I get it. I said, the reason I don't want to change anything is because I know that everything is working for my good. Why in the world do you want to change anything if everything is working for your good? In every situation, there's Yahweh. The one who I love and the one who, to whom I belong totally and absolutely, I know he's there. He's working on my behalf. Watch this, Johnny. Look, I'm there. I'm working at it. It's working for you good. Relax. Relax. Have I ever failed you? No. Man, what an excellent spirit. What an attitude. Very attitude is expressed in the way he was speaking to people about their marriage. He said, well, no, okay, you're married, get married, not get married, get divorced. Just let me say this. Don't initiate anything. Don't change nothing in your flesh. Because maybe what God is doing is he's changing you. That he's initiating something in your life to deliver you. I read that chapter, man, 1 Corinthians 7. I've read it for years, studied it for years. I haven't really looked at it as much as I did back then because everybody was asking me questions about marriage, divorce, and all that kind of stuff. But when you read it fresh, made me sense Paul's attitude. And I'm hoping that 
And that refreshed seeing that I could take that example and touch it for myself. And I was hoping that maybe this morning you could see it, hear it, and reach out and touch it for yourself. The way we answer others and respond to situations indicate the kind of faith we really have. Howdy babies, no faith. I'm not saying we don't have initial things that, that initially, you know, we have a response, but ultimately, I'll tell you how you can tell it. Watch this. Anybody married to Grumpy? I said, anybody married to Grumpy? <laughs> Somebody ain't saying that. <laughs> Amen. Ladies, let's say you're up in the morning and you're cooking bacon and eggs and bit. No, let's see what else you're doing. Okay. You cook this big breakfast and, and your husband wakes up and he comes and he says, you say, Come to breakfast. I got some cathead biscuits in here for you. And he comes in and says, well, praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. What a wonderful day. How many you know that what he said in his reaction revealed something about his faith? Y'all don't get that? Hallelujah. But people that don't trust Yahweh, when his wife calls him to breakfast, he got a different attitude. Shut up. <laughs> now, I respect the fact that people don't want to talk in the morning. Amen. Amen? I said, I respect that fact. Bad, that kind of bad reaction can indicate that he is unhappy. And if he's unhappy, then he's going to be unhappy with her. And anybody else that's close to them in a relationship, they have a heavy spirit. They respond in a different way, in a way that indicates where we are with God. The principle that I'm trying to teach you this morning, and to let you know that how you answer and how you respond in our attitudes expresses always whether you have faith or not. It's revealed in your attitude. I appreciate 1 Corinthians 7 and the time I've spent in it, especially this week. Not primarily for all the answers about, you know, if you do this, you don't do that, you get married, you don't get married. But because of the chapter conveys the attitude of a person who loves Yahweh. That's what I got out of it. And I was trying to share that with you because I believe that's the word of the Lord to us today. So, because it showed... It gave me an example, something I could touch of someone who cares for what Yahweh is interested in and who's totally committed and dedicated to Yahweh and one who, somebody that's one with Yahweh and he understands this, what I'm trying to teach us and live. And who in every respect is obedient and submissive and satisfied with Yahweh and the circumstances and situations arranged by God for me. I say this this morning, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Great things he is doing to me. Amen. God bless y'all. That was supposed to be short today. What was the time, y'all? Was it?